0: I going to say, should I just say, just talk quietly amongst yourselves. Um, but you've seen me before when I've been doing sermons, fiddling with bottles, so if you don't mind, I'll just pour this now. Um, be- Ooh, I'm still spilling it. Um, in my running days, when I ran marathons um, or races that had drink stops in them, they'd have a you know, line-up line of you know, cups all the way along, and just beyond that, they would have the sponges, which people would hold, they'd dunk them into a, into a bucket, and give them to you as you ran so you grab one as you ran by, and so quite a few of us used to just uh, run past the drinks and grab the sponge, and we used to put that in our mouths, because what happened was when you closed your mouth over the sponge, the water went straight down. When you're trying to drink, um, you used to get it caught between there and the air, and you'd end up coughing, and you know, something. Uh, I'm not really sure why I told you that, but if you've got a little bit of spare time this afternoon, do you want to try it, see how it goes? Yeah, yeah, but, uh, yeah, cool. Um, firstly, I would just like to specially welcome a couple who we don't see very much of but are, who are really special and I love it every time I see them. And it's Lionel and Barbara over there sitting with Mark and Jenny and they're together today because they're going to lunch out to lunch afterwards because this is the 17th anniversary of Mark giving Barbara one of his kidneys. And, uh, so, and Lionel was telling me she's still going well, isn't she? So that's great, so praise the Lord that, yeah. Um, and the other thing I just want to mention also was I thought the forum last week was excellent. We got a lot of good resource, got a good stuff out of that. So um, thank you to those that contributed and for Dean, the idea of putting on. That was, that was great. Okay, my topic for today is called Standing on the Shoulders. Do any of you recall the thrill and excitement Thanks. when... You hoisted a child up onto your shoulders. And you remember how tender they were as they went up? It was scary for them but exciting, but then it was a whole real buzz for them when they decided they were safe, and suddenly the world was a whole lot more interesting for them, wasn't it? Did this happen to you at a concert? That's um, that's Dean and China at Athletic Park in 1988. So, it was a good night, wasn't it, hey? It was a great night for you, wasn't it, Gina? An awesome night, yeah. Or is it that just a better view is always useful? <laughs> I googled standing on the shoulders, and this picture came up, so that's what it is there. <clears throat> Some people do it just for show. And that man, he's a Russian, by the way, um, He holds the Guinness Book of Records uh, for um, the most standing on his shoulders. That's 11, plus the wooden structure they're standing on as well. So, um, yeah. Right. And one more slide. This last one depicts a saying made famous by Isaac Newton. If I have seen further than others, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. The most common metaphor for standing on the shoulders, um, or for the metaphor standing on the shoulders, is that we acknowledge the work of others who have helped us get to a higher or better place than we could have by ourselves. And you know, if you consider ourselves sitting here in Lane Park Church, 17th of October 2021, we sit here only because of the efforts and sacrifices made by people over the last 45 years. Uphark Christian Fellowship started in response to a vision from God to a brethren man during the move of the Holy Spirit in the mid-1970s. Hudson Salisbury was obedient to the call to start a Pentecostal church, which immediately caused his being cut off from the church he belonged to for 50 years, severing relationships and friendships, particularly for him and his wife, Joan. The church was shaped out and grew out of, among others, the pastoral skills of Paul Jackson and the teaching of Bruce Billington, who actually was himself a convert in the early days of this church. From a doctrine point of view, we stand stand on the shoulders of the major decision to shift from an end times theology to a kingdom of God theology, that is, the Let's get everyone saved because we're out of here soon. And don't invest in any area of life because it's a waste of time to uh, let us occupy until he comes, taking your faith to every sphere of life, maximising your talents and abilities for the glory of God and show others how to live just as our Christian forefathers did. We stand on the shoulders, sorry, uh, we stand on the, sh- on the back of the decision to purchase this amazing property and the subsequent thousands of volunteer hours knocking it from a factory into a place where we could gather to meet God and each other in. We stand on the shoulders of an amazing entrepreneurial woman called Anne Hyde who started a second hand clothing business called The Glory Box, specifically for the purpose of knocking a hole in the huge mortgage we took out to purchase the property. And her efforts, plus many who volunteered in the shop, resulted in over $500,000 being knocked off the mortgage. And that was 1999, 2000, values of 20 years ago. Yeah. So we have already been blessed by God by the efforts of those also leading Lane Park, CFUH Lane Park, and also the members, you, us, even now. It's carrying on. And we're just the, the most recent part. We're a microcosm. Um, you know, we're part of a movement that actually has been going for 2,000 years. And I'd like to make a claim, which others have put in their words, but this way I put it, that the world today, and particularly the Western world, lives in a wonderful outpouring of God, which was made possible for us by the efforts of many faithful men and women of God Followers of Jesus Christ who were empowered by the Holy Spirit over the last 2,000 years. The world today, particularly the Western world, lives in the outpouring of God, which was made possible for us by the efforts of many faithful men and women of God, followers of Jesus Christ who were empowered by the Holy Spirit for the last 2,000 years. Some of these people achieved extraordinary things. But collectively, they have enabled billions of people to live with a greater fullness and freedom of life. Or perhaps I could put it another way, <clears throat> using Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a cloud, such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that it hinders and the sin which so easily entangles. And I'd like to paraphrase that you actually could add a wee bit to that. You could say, look, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses who have paved the way for us by their commitment and the laying down of their lives, let us throw off everything that ensnares. And this was the result of one man, the Lord Jesus, the total revolutionary. The total revolutionary. He came and he claimed to have a personal relationship with God, And his God loved creation and especially human beings. In the pre-Christian world, the gods were indifferent to humanity. Some beliefs were that the gods were jealous of humans. The gods of the pagans were petty, easily offended, and vengeful. They were often deceitful, and certainly they couldn't be trusted. And the humans feared them and often tried to placate them, even bribe them. Your God is love your God has come to earth to serve, to reconcile? They were probably happy that Christianity did have a God who needed to be appeased. But the concept that God himself would come to earth to pay the appeasement must have done their heads in. It was a tough road being a child back in those times. If you're deformed or you're a girl, you're either killed or abandoned, sold into slavery, and abuse was normal. Jesus showed the worth of children. Let the little children come up unto me. Um, you know, woe betide anyone who causes one of these little ones who believes in me to falter. And it was Christians who opposed the depravity of the Greco-Roman uh, society on infanticide, child abandonment, abuse, abortion, human sacrifices and, stu- and suicide. They instead started orphanages, adoption, and godparenting. parenting was a Norwegian named Becker who wrote of this uh, in a paper called When Children Became People, The Birth of Childhood in Early Christianity. I love that title, When Children Became People. Yeah. Contrast this with life in India. <clears throat> There's an Indian Christian called Vishal Mangalwadi <clears throat> who wrote this book. It's called The Book That Made Your World, How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. So he became a Christian and he went on into the mission field. Um, oh yes, yeah, sorry, I meant to say, you can get a copy of this book. This one belongs to the Polsons and I will return it okay? after I finish here. Okay, that. Um, Vishal uh, went on a mission throughout India. <clears throat> and tells the story in it, in the villages in the countryside, and tells the story of a girl called Sheila, an 18-month-old, barely-alive young Indian girl. Vishal offers to pay for a visit to the hospital, which her parents decline. So Vishal actually takes the child to the hospital for immediate care, and then to his home afterwards, and Sheila's nursed back to health. And of course, as well as that, she had a delightful time with all the love and attention. They return her to her home only to hear that she deteriorates again and eventually dies. He writes, Sheila's parents believed that, like themselves, Sheila was trapped inextricably in the clutches of poverty. They held to traditional Hindu fatalism. They did not believe they could change history uh, to transcend fate, karma and culture. That Sheila could not have her lot changed as it's necessary for the next step in her reincarnation. Tragic. Praise God where his people have worked and are working to increase the value and dignity of human life. Would you have liked to have been a woman in Jesus' time? If you were, you were considered socially and intellectually inferior. You were not given the same rights and freedom that men enjoyed. And in Jewish culture, you were not even permitted to speak in public, especially in the presence of a man. You couldn't testify in a court of law. You were actually little more than a chattel. Again, Jesus, the way he treated women, the woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, even the Martha Mary thing. No, Mary doesn't have to go and do work as was expected. She's doing the right thing. She's sitting here. Not only did he stand against the anti-female culture of his day, but he set a new standard of kindness, compassion and respect. And as a result, the early church included an honoured woman, supported widows, and gave them a dignity previously unknown in any culture. And further down the track, in India, where widows were burned on their husband's funeral pyre, so if your husband died, that was it for you, it was the Christians who were largely responsible for getting this banned. China, young girls intentionally crippled with the binding of their feet, Again, it was the influence of Christians that led to government outlawing this practice. You, as in all of us, back in Jesus' time, would probably have been slaves. Over 75% of people were, under incredibly harsh conditions and brutal punishment. And most of us are well aware that Christians were the first people in history to systematically fight against slavery. We are familiar with the story of William Wilberforce and his 50-year journey in Britain and the abolitionists in America, most of whom were Christian mission ministers to do that. Wilberforce achieved the suppression of the slave trade with the passing of the slave trade bill in 1807, but still concerned that it was carrying on, still carried on with his work until a bill outlawing the slavery in Britain and all its colonies colonies was passed in 1833, 26 years after the initial bill, and that happened just days before he died. What was his belief? Since we're all created equal in the eyes of God, no one has the right to rule another without their consent. Yeah. Wilberforce was actually an amazing man. He battled for improvements on many fronts, for example, limiting the hours that children should work. Prison reform, policing, education, health care, the issues caused by gambling, conditions for the poor. He was, yeah. In fact, it's funny. Reading through that time, I read a comment on him, on, on his life by one of his contemporaries, that Wilberforce actually could have achieved more if he had, not, if he had been more focused. <laughs> the context around it was, uh, Wil- Wilberforce confessing to this guy, that he had not completed more work on something because one of his children had sneaked into a study and he simply could not resist an utterly delightful hour of playing with the child. And this happened a lot. Uh, if you look at Wilberforce's Journal, you go, know, oh, I was caught up with my child for another couple. It was, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, amazing guy. Got to run out of water, here. Just a little about government. Prior to the Christian faith being applied to civil government, people lived in perpetual fear of massacres and tyrants. Your town could be here today and gone the next. You could be alive one day, dead the next. Power and fear ruled human societies for much of human history and, as we know, still does in much of the world. But after the coming of Christ, the biblical role of civil government began to emerge through the Magna Carta, the British common law, Republican governments, democratic principles and human rights. How much we value the army, the police, um, a just social order that we live in. All of these things which are not enjoyed by many non-Christian nations in the world are the fruit of the faith of, in Jesus Christ. And just one little story out of that era, one which I'm, you may well have heard of, was Telemachus in the late 14th century attended a gladiatorial contest, you know, those fights to the death. <clears throat> he was an old man at this point, And he jumped into the stadium and went up to the two fighters and commanded them not to waste God's wonderful mercy by murdering each other. He was pushed out of the way, but he pushed back. The crowd started jeering at him, and eventually the gladiators got tired of his interference and slew him. The realisation of slaying an unarmed old man was significant in gladiatorial contests being banned. It was great. The development of the world and the changes made in key facets of life since Jesus came to the world, into the world have been astonishing. You, yeah. The changes profoundly affect every area of life and society. We won't be going through them all, but look, here is a list of them. No, can anyone think of an area that isn't included up there? Just turn the world upside down. And this was all based on the amazing teachers' teachings of Jesus. So revolutionary. Turn the other cheek. Walk the extra mile. Forgiveness is compulsory. 70 times 7 at least. Servant leadership. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. Love your enemies. Pray for your enemies. Sell all you have and follow me. Do your God stuff in private. The Beatitudes, the blessed be this, the ble- and all of those. John three sixteen. you must be born again. Ignore the Pharisees. They're blind guides full of rule-keeping religious leaders who actually don't really give a toss about your well- well-being. Amazing stuff. And after his ascension into heaven, ordinary men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit started the journey of taking Jesus' utterly countercultural message to the Jews and to the world. What can be said about the beginning of Christianity? Well, right from the start, it was considered an illegal and, and it was a persecuted faith. The Jewish people, of course, regarded the Christians as blasphemers. Philosophers ridiculed their key beliefs, The Romans saw them as threats to the political system and stability of the empire, and leaders like Ignatius and Polycarp were put to death, as were everyday believers. And those who didn't die for their faith still faced consequences, some losing their social status and and, or connections. Yet, the faith that began around 40 AD with around 3,000 people grew to an estimated 6 million 300 years later. Why did so many people become Christians in these centuries when they knew they would be face, face consequences? Well, scholars say it was simply due to Christianity showing itself to be different in content and conduct, model and life, and Christians faithfully proclaimed the gospel and lived it out. Church leader Justin Martyr said the patience and integrity of Christians attracted people to the faith. Another leader, Tertullian, Noted that the way Christians courageously died for their faith spoke to the masses christians didn 't ridicule opponents or seek, or seek vengeance, but it wasn 't also just what the christians didn 't do it's what they did that spoke to others, particularly their acts of charity, caring for the poor, widows, orphans, elderly, and the slaves. Their teaching on marriage was count- and sexuality was countercultural. And in the process, raising the honor and dignity of women, giving them equality by rejecting double standards in marriage and sexual ethics, and another mark, key mark, of course, was how they cared for unwanted children. When there were plagues in the city, the Christians didn't flee, but cared for those who were sick, even those who weren't fellow Christians. And the church, of course, was concerned with the poor. This led to one of the to the Emperor Julian, who wasn't a fan of Christianity, remarking that the Christian not only look for the, look for their own poor, but for ours as well, while those who belong to us look in vain for the help that we should be rendering them. Look, we could be here for many hours recounting many stories of the faith and sacrifice of men and women. They upturn the world and we have reaped the blessings of all, of their all out commitment, showing the world that we are all born in the image of God, that we are as image bearers. All of us. There was neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. What a legacy they've left for us. Yeah, yeah. Having said that, we know that Christianity hasn't always done it well. The Crusades, the Spanish Inquisitions, the witches of Salem, the corruption, the self-interest, and abuses of power that brought about the Reformation, requiring God to raise up people like Martin Luther, William Tyndale, John Wycliffe and others to attack the corruption and restore the principles of the Bible to all, including to the poor and the illiterate. Martin Luther challenged the church with what was known as the 95 Theses, that is, on paying of indulgence to the church as down payment for your, journey to hell, for your slot in heaven. He restored the truth that just if justification is by faith alone. William Tyndale was the first to translate the Bible into, into English, drawing directly from Hebrew and Greek texts. And he was, his was the first English translation that, uh, to take advantage of, of printing presses. He was burned at the stake. John Wycliffe also wanted to translate the Bible in English for all. He was condemned as a heretic after his death. And, you know, there's enough abuses of power and privilege by Christianity throughout its entire history even right up to the present day, which are hugely embarrassing um, and often cause us great shame and humiliation. However, the benefits of Christianity as a whole has brought to the world far, far more reaching conquen- consequences and improvements for all. We stand on the shoulders of faithful men unto death. And here in New Zealand, we live in one of the most free, free, free places in the world. Yeah. Um, I was struck by how deeply a person's dignity is valued in New Zealand just a couple of months back when the, de- when the debate was on about whether the police should have arrested the man who carried out the attacks at Countdown. Everything after he acted, shouted, why didn't you get him before this? You knew about him, etc., etc." et cetera. And the, you knew the police had thoroughly explored it within our current laws, which probably need changing, but they were doing all they can within those laws and rights and dignity of the individual here in New Zealand. It goes deep in that sense, you know, yeah. And so we come to today, to our time, to us here. What can we do for future generations, our children and our children's children? Because we are the ones to do it. Because like those before before us whose shoulders shoulders we stand on, we are. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are the ones who do not conform to the standards, to the pattern of this world. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We are the ones who he began a good work in us, will carry it on until the completion to the day of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace and mercy to help us in times of need. We are the ones empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are the ones who can identify with Bob Dylan's line, You have given everything for me. What can I do for you? You have given me life to live. How can I live for you? Yeah. So, how can we be the Uh, Carry on being the people who continue in the character and the lifestyle of those that were for us. Well, I think one way is that people uh, living as people of this church, of Lane Park's church, core values, if we live according to them. And here's today's test. What are they? Core values? Ah. Pardon? We value others. Who was that? Over there? Yeah, everybody has, a part to play. everybody has a part to play oh someone said uh, so I've got so far we honour others above ourselves and we all have a part to play what else have we got we are quick to forgive three, two to go what else have we got We highly value others. We highly value people. We honour others above ourselves. Okay. Why don't we just run through them then, eh? Please read with me, I ask. We highly value people. Oh. Slide 12. Here Here we go. We highly value people. People... Are the priority, God made people in his image and we believe that there's nothing more important than valuing people. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another from John 13:34. We honour others above ourselves. A culture of respect is very important to us we desire to outdo one another in showing honour. Romans 12.10 Do nothing from selfish ambition, ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Philippians 2.3 We are quick to forgive. We want to be a people who are quick to forgive one another, refusing to hold on to offence, we want to be a people that are known for showing grace. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Matthew 6.14 We walk in integrity. We believe that integrity is central to being a representative of Jesus. A culture of integrity ushers in trust to be the foundation of our relationships with one another. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Proverbs 10, 9. We all have a part to play. We're convinced that every person is significant and so is their role to play. We don't attend church. We are the church. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10. And I think that if we can live to these standards consistently, we will go a long way to being the people like those whose shoulders that we stand on. We do have our part to play, just as the early church did. As Dylan asked, how can I live for you? How can I live for, you for the, live for you in these times? Sociological, economic, human rights, freedom of speech, pandemics, these national and global issues, what can we do? Well, my suggestion is that before you do anything, you come before God and present himself to you, to him, just as you are. Currently, you may be time poor, you may be buried in family issues, raising a family, you may be financially stretched, perhaps you're down at heart, or... Maybe you're free of these things and you're in a really good place. Come before him. A.W. Tozer said, God wants worshippers before workers. And I think it's true. I suggest that the early church impressed not only because of the things they did, but because of who they were. First and foremost, they were lovers of Jesus Christ and the gospel, and everything else flowed out of there. I'm sure that the people's contributions in the early church varied according to their circumstances, that it wasn't all big plan and big picture, but they did chip in and support those that did have skills, vision and resources to make things happen. I know that God will speak to us according to our situations and our circumstances. I heard the story of an 83-year-old woman, shut-in woman in poor health, who wrote to Amnesty International asking if she could help they asked her to work on the release of a political prisoner in Indonesia. She proceeded to write countless letters to provision of prison officials, family and government officials. After many months, the prisoner wrote to her to tell of his release, that his prison file was two inches thick and it was too much trouble to keep for just one prisoner. I owe you my life, he wrote. Earlier this week, I had lunch with a couple of friends who told me that a close relative of theirs with a two-month-old baby was on a bridge. Now, this is a woman who's a a very strong and capable woman. She was on a bridge, but the depression and the stress of a newborn just hit her at this point, and she considered climbing over the railing. A person walked past her and said, you look like you need cheering up, and he gave her his son's hat, hat, and that was enough to break the train of thought, and she's going along from there. In the most recent lockdown, a person felt the Lord say to put a significant money, amount of money into the church bank account for the elders to use as they saw fit, as, as was needed. And one of our people I know is keeping a close eye on a neighbour who isn't keeping very good care of herself whilst belligerently refusing to move to the care she desperately needs. I say again, one of the wonderful things about, um, about working here Oh, and being on staff is you hear of lots of things that people are doing that are just fantastic. I wasn't going to say this, but the other thing about being on staff is you have Grant Conway coming up and down the, down the hallway, and he stops, and we talk over different either articles you might have seen on Sunday TV or work that he's doing, and he has stories about prisoners uh, whose lives are turning around, and I just I love to hear them. You know, breakthroughs being made, it's just fantastic. Yeah. We stand on the shoulders of wonderful, sold-out commitment, on the wonderful, sold-out commitment of thousands of Christ followers who now surround us as a great cloud of witnesses. We live in the outpouring of God's blessing on this world, made available to us by those who said to God, here I am, send me. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that we would be a church family carries on the wonderful work of bringing your life and truth to a needy world. May we continually present ourselves before you as worshippers who are continually seeking instructions on how you might answer us each time when we say, Here I am. Send me. Amen. Cool. Um, yeah, just want to offer you the opportunity, just, uh, just where you're at or anything. If any of body needs prayer, we're happy for you to come up. We'd love to pray for you, either one of the elders or your small group leader and that sort of thing. But just as I finish, I'd just like to, to uh, we've had one blessing today, but just put another blessing over you from the Lord, that the Lord would bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord would lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. He's for you, is for you.